Hi there, everybody. Before I get this started, as you can tell by the title of this, this is a bit of a celebratory pod. We recently hit 100,000 total downloads. It's an amazing accomplishment. We accomplished it in roughly one year and a month. I believe that had Corona not taken place, we probably could have met this in, you know, in the uh, in the one year mark. But alas, things aren't. Uh, things aren't normal, and as a result, uh, this is what we're going to have to deal with. But nevertheless, it's a major accomplishment, and I want to, first of all, thank all of you, the listeners, for sticking with us for a year, for helping us grow into one of the best Bayern Munich and Bundesliga podcasts in the world. Um, I want to thank everybody that I have interviewed, uh, Derek Ray, twice, Phil Bonnie, uh, Raphael Honigstein and um, Gino Lewandowski, your episodes have helped us a lot to grow our reach and our credibility and our um, popularity among not only the people that listen to our podcast consistently, but maybe those that have gone out for the first time. I'd also like to thank Richie O'Reilly and the media team at FC Bayern New York for all of their help and their support for our podcast, whether that's via Twitter, whether that's via contests or other support. I just can't thank you guys enough. Of course, thank you to the co-hosts, Chuck and Tom. Thank you to John Dillon for giving me this opportunity to start this out. Thank you to all my professors back at Syracuse yet again um, for teaching me the tricks on how to edit with audio. And yeah, I really don't know where we're going to go from here. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, especially with all of the pandemic going on. But for now, we get to sit back, relax, and actually talk about some soccer. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and let's get into it. Hi, I'm Raphael Honigstein, and you're listening to the Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello and welcome in to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works, where this time we actually get to talk about a game that had happened in the past weekend as opposed to months ago. Uh, I am joined by Tom Adams and Chuck Smith today. Guys, how was your weekend? Well, it's absolutely amazing to have football back. That's the positive and especially a Bayern win. The negative is uh, my hair is still getting absolutely out of hand. It's the longest it's been since eighth grade when we all went through that phase where we grew our hair out, started listening to classic rock and whatnot. Um, you know, guilty, raising my hand there. Definitely went through it, but I absolutely hate it. I just can't pull off the long hair look just quite as well as Chuck can. <laughs> Tom, I'm shook right now. All I can picture is you with like a deep purple shirt on. So I, I don't really know if I can recover and finish this podcast, but uh, my life is about the same, still kind of a shut in like I was before the quarantine. So uh, it was just really nice to have something to watch on TV. And I did my part by by taking in four games over the last three days. So I'm ecstatic 
to uh, be back here with you guys and also to have the Bundesliga back. I had a lot of fun on Saturday. I was live tweeting all of the games happening, so I had three screens going at the same time. I had my television watching uh, the Revere Derby. I had my laptop with Freiburg Leipzig, and then I had my phone with... um, with footmob up and I was just constantly checking in refreshing scores and uh, tweeting everything that was happening. It was a flurry of activity that we hardly experience outside of the first matches of the season. And I kind of feel like that's exactly what this entire day felt like. It felt like the start of a brand new season, even though there are now as of today, Monday, eight games left, but this weekend, Uh, There were nine. So let's first start off by talking about the obvious one, the obvious reason why everybody is listening to this one, and that would be to recap the Bayern Munich versus Union Berlin game that took place at the Stadion under Alten Försterei in East Berlin in Köpenick this weekend. It wasn't really the most convincing win for Bayern, I think. It was a 2-0 win, but... Nonetheless, it just seemed like a lackluster win. It looked like, you know, a game that was played by a team that hadn't played together in a couple of months, which is exactly what happened. It felt at a lot of times in the first half that Byron was in the right area to shoot, but they just picked the worst times to pull the trigger because there were so many chances from Lewandowski, Gnabry, uh, Goretzka, Tiago, that were just shot right into the bodies of Union defenders. And it was so aggravating to watch. Over and over again, they just could not find the right timing and the right spacing, especially as Union sat further and further back in their defensive half and basically parked an entire schoolyard full of buses in front of their goal. Union however, is the most foul-prone team in the league. They were shown yellow within 25 minutes of this game, and in the 40th minute, Nevin Subotic conceded a penalty after kicking Goretzka, who was running after the ball. I was kind of shocked that that wasn't given a yellow card. Like, the foul was Goretzka was running towards the ball with... Uh, he was behind Subotic when he started to run, but Subotic kind of knew that he was there, and he just kicked his leg out and hit Goretzka in the legs. But for some reason, he wasn't carded in any way, shape, or form. Byron was just awarded a penalty, and I thought that was an interesting decision because it seemed like one of the more egregious fouls that we had seen throughout the entire game. But nevertheless, Robert Lewandowski stepped up and did what he does. He now has, I believe, 16 or 14 goals to go to tie Gerd Müller's record for 40 goals in a season. Uh, The rest of the game kind of played out a lot like the first half. Byron's passing was kind of sloppy at times. Other other times, we had some really good runs down the side of the field. Union sat in their defensive half for a lot of the time, and Byron, like always, was able to control possession. An 80th-minute goal off of a header from Benjamin Pavard capped off a great performance from him, which we will talk about later. But first, let's just get both of your thoughts on this game. Chuck, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think the first thing you really have to do is give Union Berlin uh, some of some credit for the way that they performed. Obviously, coming into this, they were severe underdogs. And to play the way they did, so defensive, so compact, it was the only way they were going to compete. So normally, under 
the regular circumstances of the season, if there was no pandemic, I would have been very frustrated at the the way this game was played on both sides. But given it was the first weekend back and that was the only way that Berlin was going to be able to compete, I, I could live with it. I, I was, I'll say, a, a little disappointed in the way that Bayern handled it. You could tell they were rusty. I thought there were some lackluster efforts out there, and I don't think it was for lack of trying. I just think the players were rusty, and and I, I should probably preface that I don't want to come across as the uh, negative Nancy. Uh, the you know the win was great, to have the game back was excellent, but you know I was hoping to see a little more crispness. I guess I would say I I was hoping to see. Uh, Byron come out and let their talent take over. But I felt like, Jake, you said, I felt they lacked some creativity in the final third. I thought the decision-making was was extremely poor, especially from Gnabry. He created a few chances, and it just seemed like every decision he made was the wrong one in the game. But, you know, you, you win some, you lose some with that, and I'm sure that he's on his way to kind of fixing those issues after they look at the game film. But uh, I was just happy to have the game back. And while the game was frustrating and even a little dull at times, uh, it was a hard-fought win, and, and I think we could all agree that we'll take that and run. Yeah, just to piggyback off of what both of you guys had said, it's funny, uh, Jake, that in Der Ausblick, two of the Union Berlin players that you know we kind of highlighted to focus on uh, were Anderson and Christian Gettner, two guys who started on the bench, which I thought was a little bit interesting, but I think from a Berlin perspective, um, as Chuck was giving them credit for, was to just keep... Uh, Byron at bay for as long as they possibly could, you know, keeping those midfield and defensive spaces uh, tight and compact, which I think we saw did frustrate Byron and oftentimes has in the past when they play teams that set up like this. Uh, and obviously with this being the first game back um, in a little bit over two months, we knew those kinks were going to be there. We knew there was going to be a lot of issues with uh, not necessarily match fitness, but match sharpness. I think you guys hit the nail on the head in saying that in the final third, uh, you could tell that just some of the communication was off. Uh, I noticed a lot of exchanges between Lewandowski and Thomas Muller uh, where they tried to one-two each other and were always just a half step behind or perhaps played the ball uh, too far in the opposite direction that the other player had made the run for. Uh, Goretzka did that a little bit. I noticed even guys like uh, Thiago um, and Kimmich in the middle of midfield, they were kind of forcing balls sometimes into just really crowded areas. I think Boateng was guilty of that a couple of times as well, um, where they kind of just seemed a little bit reluctant to just maintain possession, play the conservative lateral uh, or backwards pass. Um, and sometimes that led us into trouble as far as the counterattack was concerned from Berlin's perspective. Uh, but again, um, Thomas Muller, he was one guy when we saw the starting lineup, seeing all of the other personnel we were like, okay, this probably means he's going to play out wide uh, on the right, um, seeing as Gnabry typically starts on the left, even if uh, Coleman uh, is in the starting lineup. But I thought next to Benjamin Pavard, he was one of the best performers on, performers on the pitch, and I thought he was one of the guys who created a lot of those spaces in tight areas, even uh, with the compact lines that uh, Berlin were employing. I think he was a little bit unlucky not to have his goal um, stand and I have to clarify from my live tweets, I think I actually got it wrong. I thought that uh, Goretzka's initial header, I thought Muller was offside on that header from the corner kick, but I guess there was a part of uh, Muller's body. Remember, it has to be a part of your body um, that you can score with. So essentially anything but your arm uh, or your hand. 
was slightly ahead uh, of the play, even though Gnabry appeared to have played the ball backwards. Uh, a bit unfortunate, but technically, uh, with the VAR rules that are in place, it was a correct call. I thought his performance uh, was deserving of a goal or assist, but nonetheless, um, Lewandowski's uh, breakthrough just before halftime, I thought, completely changed it. I thought after that, Bayern started to play a little bit more freely, a little bit more open. Uh, Berlin had to start opening those spaces and, and being a little bit more aggressive, especially in the second half. Um, yeah, and then we finally got that second goal late on, but I think the game completely changed as Berlin had to search for an equalizer, uh, making some of the substitutions that they had to make. I thought Coman made a decent difference when he came on, uh, won a couple of corner kicks right off the bat. Um, so yeah, not the most glamorous, aesthetically appealing 2-0 win, but for the circumstances, you absolutely will take the clean sheet, uh, which Hansi Flick was very, very happy for in his post-match thoughts. Uh, take the three points, restore that four-point lead at the top of the table, uh, and go on to the next one because we've got a busy week ahead. So before we move on to talk about that potentially busy week ahead, I think that we should go ahead and analyze a couple of the performances, and this is not to single out any individual player. It just seemed to me on paper there were two players that might need a little bit more time to get ready and develop uh their uh, match fitness so we look at the field right I think that there were some players that did a really good job like Benjamin Pavard he did really well shutting people down at that right back position and throughout the game it really seemed like he was a man who started out from the gate like he wanted to go out and prove something and prove that he was a really good right back and as we look at a lot of the transfer rumors with Bayern this week, we see names like Nelson Semedo floating around potentially coming to Bayern Munich, and Benjamin Pavard wants to be able to lock that position down now that Joshua Kimmich seems to have fully transitioned himself into the center defensive midfield role uh, with Thiago, but he did a great job. A couple of players did an okay job, like we mentioned, uh, Tiago. Alfonso Davies did a good but not phenomenal job. It wasn't his best performance of the day. Uh, a couple of sloppy passes, but he's also 19 years old. Uh, Tomas Müller didn't, didn't really produce a lot. And outside of that one penalty goal, Robert Lewandowski didn't really seem to have it all together either. Though, again... Davies is 19 years old. Tomas Muller was played out of position. Tiago, um, I'm not exactly sure what happened there. And Lewandowski's coming right off an injury. I think two players that absolutely um, really need to go back and hit the, the training ground would be Leon Goretzka and Serge Gnabry. Now, I'll give Gnabry the benefit of the doubt as well. He was played in a more advanced position, but... Even still, it didn't really seem like he was in that advanced position at all. According to the Bundesliga graphic, he was in that Thomas Muller number 10 role, and I didn't really see a lot of him creating chances or distributing passes or getting in front of goal. If anything, I saw him playing really poor passes more than anything else. And then, of course, we talk about Serge Gnabry, as Chuck had mentioned. He just seemed incredibly... For lack of a better word, selfish. He kept trying to force a lot of shots that weren't exactly there. Uh, he wasn't able to distribute the ball as well as he could have. So, guys, we'll start with Tom. Who do you think is the player that needs to take their performance from this game 
and really try to build on it? Well, there were a lot of moving parts in you know, the circumstances. You have to take a lot of things into consideration, uh, but mostly focusing on those attacking players and Gnabry, Goretzka, Muller, and Lewandowski um, from this particular performance. I think a lot of it has to do with, um, A, Muller's positioning. I think he's far more effective from that number 10 central position tucked just behind Lewandowski. And I think that affects the ebb and flow of the front four. So whether it's Gnabry, Coman, Perisic, Coutinho, whoever it is on either side of him, it affects the way that uh, all of them move, uh, the spaces they find and um, how they look for one another in the final third. Um, And to go off of that as well, um, I think that, yes, Lewandowski is back. He's fit. He's healthy. Um, He's had a lot of time off. Obviously, the virus was sort of a blessing in disguise as far as his recovery process and being available um, for our title run-in, especially with Derek Klassiker coming up. But, you know, there's a difference between being healthy and being 100% match fit. You know, I I think that we can all agree that he wasn't quite there uh, in this performance. He wasn't anywhere near 100%. And I think when he is at 100%, you know, his movements, his positional awareness, his tactical awareness uh, is much, much sharper, and that affects everything uh, that's going on behind him. Uh, so, i.e., that would affect the way Gnabry is playing, Goretzka, Thomas Muller, Perisic, uh, Coutinho, uh, Thiago, Kimmich, you know, the normal, the usual suspects in midfield. So I think a lot of what was going on with Gnabry was trying to do, as you said, a little bit too much on his own. Uh, perhaps because he didn't find the spaces there. You know, Lewandowski may not have been making the runs that he's used to him making, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there might have been an element of that there. I think by, hopefully, I would hope by Dare Klassiker or shortly thereafter, Lewandowski is 100% match fit again. And, you know, we start to see just how much those uh, attacking players can percolate, uh, you know, as we saw for most of the Rook Runa before the, the virus kind of, brought things to a screeching halt. And the other performance I just want to touch on is Pavard. You know, I think he was the best player of this game outright. Uh, and I don't think there's really anything he did wrong. One of the interesting elements with the, uh, you know, the lack of fans in the stadium, you can hear everything the coaches and the players are shouting. Yes, they are shouting predominantly in German. And most of us uh, on our site aren't native German speakers. So you can't really uh, understand exactly what it is they're saying. But obviously the commentators help with that. Uh, the commentators for this one, you know, kept on revealing some of the shouts that were being made, and Pavard was one guy I noticed when either Alaba, Neuer, or Boateng had the ball, you know, in Bayern's own third, Pavard was constantly shouting for possession of the ball as he was coming square or slightly diagonally forward to open up space and, you know, become an option for whoever was on the ball. I really liked his hunger and aggressiveness uh, to get on the ball. As you said, I think he won uh, a large percentage of his tackles. He boasted a 95% Um, pass success rate and I think the sequence that perhaps defines his performance and one of you can correct me if I'm wrong but I believe it was the same sequence and I believe Chuck had replied with a funny gif um, just before his goal you know on the corner kick from uh, Kimmich uh, in the 81st minute I think that was the sequence when uh, Kevin Schlotterbeck had just given him an aggressive, given him, excuse me, an aggressive shoulder, and it had just sent Pavard right into the advertising boards, you know, with his back and the back of his head first, and he just kind of shook it off, didn't complain about it, uh, dusted himself off, got in the mix for the corner kick, and scored that header. And mind you, there were quite a bit of bodies around him; it was no easy header. Um, so that, to me, is just uh, indicative of him sticking his head down, you know, making the right decisions. 
you know, doing exactly what Flick wants him to do, um, expressing himself. Excuse me, expressing himself um, and putting the right foot forward, and not for nothing either. I remember back when uh, Byron's virtual training sessions had first started. I, I I wrote a piece on him after he gave an interview to Fifty One, Byron's magazine. You know, he was he's living alone right now. He has no one else uh, with him at his house. Uh, obviously, before they moved to the hotel in Munich. Um, as a part of the the DFL's protocol, but he's been by himself, just hunkering down, training, and eating healthy. Um, I believe his parents were even supposed to visit him ahead of the uh, the Berlin match when it was supposed to have happened in March before the the pandemic kind of brought everything to a screeching halt. So for me, he's just someone who he's really putting his head down. He's a team first kind of guy, and I think this performance uh, really showed it. And I hope that uh, they continue. Yeah, I, I think you guys made some great points. Uh, when I was watching the game, you know, I was really not impressed with the play of Joshua Kimmich or Thiago uh, from the central midfield. I just thought they looked off. Again, I, I don't want to be the negative Nancy. Uh, I'm happy with the way the game turned out. Those two, I, I did not think were very good on the day. I thought Jerome Boateng was 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 not quite up to the uh, bar that he had set prior to the pandemic. But like you guys had pointed out, the two players I think that that most probably need to sharpen their games up are Goretzka and Gnabry. For Goretzka, I just think he needs to trust his athleticism. He looked a little tentative uh, at times, wasn't sure of himself, and I think the confidence kind of seeped away from him. Once he started to make a couple of bad decisions, once some things didn't work out, he, he definitely played more tentative than we're used to. For him to be successful, he has to be extremely aggressive and almost fearless. And I think he, at the times where he's played great for Bayern Munich, that's been what has really shown through for him, uh, just how aggressive he likes to play within the box and just the just being able to rely on his athleticism. For Gnabry, the one criticism I think we could make of him consistently when he's off it's his decision-making in the final third. And Jake, you pointed out that he was forcing things and that plays right into it. There were times where, like you said, he shot when he should have passed. Sometimes he took one too many dribbles. One Sometimes he hesitated just that one split second and, and it cost him. And listen, he I think he's a great player. I think he's got a, a, an awesome future ahead of him. One game is not going to define him, obviously. But yeah, he wasn't great. And I think that it's just, you know, one of those things we point out now, you know, some of the shortcomings we saw. But, you know, given the circumstances and how Union Berlin played this game, we probably all had our our expectations of a little too high if we thought it was going to be a, a four or five goal performance from Bayern. So now I want to go ahead and look at some of the games elsewhere in the Bundesliga. So let's start off with the team in second place. Uh, Borussia Dortmund was able to absolutely throttle Schalke, a 4 nothing win for them at home at the Westfalenstadion. It was kind of annoying because this was a Revere derby. That was the first game of the Bundesliga's restart. It was anticipated by a lot of us in German soccer, and yet, unfortunately, it was it was very easily decided by the end of that first half. Moving into that third-place spot, Borussia Mönchengladbach were easily able to handle Eintracht Frankfurt, and now they go within six points of Bayern Munich. They're looking for their first title since the mid-'70s. Fourth place, we have RB Leipzig, who were struggling a lot in their game against Freiburg at home at the Red Bull Arena. Uh, 
Airbag goes down to fourth, and Freiburg go up to seventh. And then we look at Bayer Leverkusen, who was able to utterly dominate Werder Bremen earlier today. It's going to make it a lot harder for the North German side to be able to survive the drop with eight games to go. And they are in 17th place right now, which as it stands would be automatic relegation. So, guys, which one of those four fixtures do you think is going to be the most important with eight games to go as we look ahead to a potential final weekend clash between three teams for the title in terms of points. Jake, I think it, you know, when I looked at the games this weekend, obviously I think all eyes right now have to be on Dortmund just because of the overall talent level there. I mean, if you think about it, uh, Gio Reyna was supposed to start the game and the penalty for him missing because he had an injury was Torgan Hazard came on and played an absolutely phenomenal game in his stead. So when you look at Dortmund and how confident they're playing even after this break and to have such a, a, a weapon up top and Erling Holland, uh, I, I think that that team is the one we all have to be aware of. Uh, Leipzig, they are a team that relies on aggression, momentum, uh, and confidence. They had none of those things in, in the game against Freiburg. Uh, so I was I was disappointed from a fan standpoint in seeing how they played. But I think, you know, if we're looking at one team, one game that was important, to see the way that Dortmund came out and took care of business like that against their rival, that was impressive. And I think it shows where they're headed here as we uh, hit the stretch run of the season. I think just simply from the standpoint of the title run in and where we're at, you know, eight fixtures remaining and Derek Klassiker being um, next week, uh, just about a week from today, it's just so important and it's going to have the most title implications, especially considering uh, that Leipzig were not able to take care of Freiburg at home. And, you know, to add to what Chuck said, uh, a Borussia Dortmund, mind you, that did not have Marco Royce. Uh, available. Torgan Hazard came in and had a phenomenal game. Um, and they just have so many weapons, and especially with that being a Riviere Derby and such a big match uh, in the Bundesliga calendar. Yes, uh, the concept of Geisterspiel and not having fans definitely takes a huge, huge, massive element out of a, a Derby. But you know, Schalke just pretty much looked lifeless uh, throughout this whole thing, and. You know, I'm quite certain it very easily could have been six nil or seven nil had uh, a few more chances gone in and had uh, Schubert not made a couple of more saves than he than he did. Um, looking at the other guys that are directly behind us in Leipzig and München Gladbach, with the Leipzig match, I actually, uh, once it was 2-0 to Dortmund, I switched over uh, and was watching Leipzig uh, instead of the uh, Riviera Derby. To me, it was kind of Freiburg scoring a fluke goal. You know, on that set piece uh, when Gulashi had the sun in his eyes, very difficult. Um, and Leipzig, especially in the second half towards the end of the game, just missing chance after chance after chance. Paulson, Timo Werner, uh, Tyler Adams, Lookman right at the end just completely whiffing. Uh, Sabitzer had a few that he um, that he just missed. Kevin Campbell had a few shots as well. I mean, you name it. They had plenty of plenty of chances and... I think it was just one of those fluke results, especially with it being the first match in uh, nearly two months for, for all of these teams. I don't think we can read too, too much into that. Um, 
in the other match, you know, München Gladbach, I kind of knew uh, that they would steamroll Frankfurt. Frankfurt have just been in dire straits uh, for most of this season, and it was one of those things. I know I was mentioning in our Slack channel early before. Uh, any of these fixtures had started, I had not realized just how far down the table Frankfurt uh, had slipped. Um, and I actually watched the first about, I would say, 40, uh, 42 minutes of that match, and it just looked like it was going to be one-way traffic the whole time. Obviously, Frankfurt got a late consolation goal at the end, but, you know, Munch and Gladbach were just all over them. You know, the first two goals inside of 10 minutes, you just thought it was going to be a complete routing. Um, and I don't think the score line does enough justice to just how much uh, Munch and Gladbach were, were dominant uh, in that game. I also have to give a special shout out to Wolfsburg. I kind of did um, a little bit of a, a betting thing well, with a friend of mine from England and his friends uh, from university that live off in England. And it was kind of an interesting format. You basically pick which team was going to win. Uh, a home team player to score, an away team player to score, halftime result, full-time result. Uh, the weird one was uh, a player to get booked. Um, and so, mind you, the Wolfsburg-Augsburg match finished 2-1. to one. Uh, Vote Veghorst, who is my favorite Bundesliga player that's not a Bayern player, um, had to sit this one out due to yellow card, cumulative yellow card suspension. So I was level uh, on total points with two people. We were kind of a three-way tie for first. So I had Ginschek as a Wolfsburg player to score uh, and Jerome Roussian as a player to get booked because he's kind of a nitty-gritty player. He fouls quite often. Both of those guys came on as subs in the second half. Ginschek scored in the 91st minute to make it 2-1 to Wolfsburg. Roussian gets a booking in the 93rd of 94 minutes, and I won. Uh, the betting pool. So that is pretty crazy. That's that's the drama that the Bundesliga brings, and I'm so happy it's back because it won me some money uh, and a nice bottle of rum in the future. So I was very excited about that result, but that's more of a personal reason. I think one of the things that we have to look at in terms of determining which fixture was more important to the um, to the title races when we look ahead to other fixtures. So I mentioned on the previous podcast the fixtures going ahead for Bayern Munich, but we look at Dortmund, Mönchengladbach, and Leipzig, right? Two wins and then a draw out of those three teams, right? The draw in Leipzig, as we mentioned. Dortmund have a really tough schedule coming up. Their games for the remainder of the season are Wolfsburg this weekend, then Der Klassiker, Paderborn, which is reasonably easy, uh, Hertha, Dusseldorf, Mainz, Leipzig, and then Hoffenheim. München Gladbach somehow have it a little tougher. Leverkusen, Bremen, Union Berlin, Freiburg, Bayern, Wolfsburg, Paderborn, Hertha. But then Leipzig, the team that had the worst performance of this weekend, probably has the easiest schedule out of everybody. They don't have to play Bayern. They don't have to play Gladback. All they do have is that second-to-last game against Borussia Dortmund. But otherwise, it's Mainz, Hertha, Cologne, Paderborn, Hoffenheim, Dusseldorf, that Dortmund game, as I mentioned, and then Augsburg. So this Leipzig team, I don't really think should be counted out yet, especially considering those fixtures that they have ahead. Dortmund have a really tough matchup for the next week or so because we mentioned that Wolfsburg game. Bayern versus Dortmund is on a Tuesday. It's only three days later, so all of those players, that Dortmund team without Marco Royce, 
keep that in mind. Without Marco Royce, without having him getting any starts this weekend, they're already probably going to have to keep the squad rotation high. Thank God for them that they have their five substitutions. They must be thinking that because for three days rest to go from Wolfsburg to Bayern that's that's tough that's super that's super tough I do not I do not envy them whatsoever um now last thing that we are going to talk about is something that Tom had written um why don't you go ahead and explain it uh, for everybody so that we better understand what we're about to talk about Tom yeah so for full context we all know that very very strict guidelines have been put in place by the the DFL and their medical task force just to ensure the safety not only of the players but of the staff members for each team um, you know all of the people that need to go to the ground for for press to take pictures um, the television broadcasting teams that have to obviously film the game etc uh, etc et you know everything is put in place to make sure that everyone's safe they're testing players multiple times a week so that they can ensure Nothing is being spread. But if you uh, read our article from Saturday afternoon, um, Eastern Standard Time, there were a few incidents with the goal celebrations. Now, basically, the rules that are in place for celebrating goals, the players are not supposed to high-five each other, uh, hug each other, or get into uh, large groups uh, where they huddle and celebrate. Um, instead, they're told to try and keep uh, and maintain social distance when they are celebrating those goals. Um, the idea is basically just to mitigate risk where they absolutely can. Obviously, it's impossible to keep the players apart um, in the natural ebb and flow of the game because that's just taking away too much of the game if you were to keep players apart from one another, and it just wouldn't be football. Um, I'd rather not have it if those restrictions are going to be in place for the actual game. But... Those are why the guidelines are in place there. You know, it's a it's a scenario and a situation where the players can, you know, make an effort to reduce the risk, at least in those situations, because we all know how much adrenaline, how much passion, emotion is involved uh, in celebrating goals, especially when there's normally, you know, anywhere from 20,000 to 90,000 fans uh, in a venue. Obviously, that's not the case now, but we had two instances. Uh, so the first of which came in the Hertha Berlin match at Hoffenheim, um, which, if you recall, was 0-0 for the first half. Um, and Hertha Berlin finally broke the deadlock uh, midway, or I should say about 10, 15 minutes into the second half. Uh, there was a long-range volley effort from uh, Peter Pekarik. It kind of took an awkward deflection, and, and it went in. So that was Berlin's first goal of the game. It broke the deadlock. It was a very um, important game or excuse me, important goal in the context of the game. It kind of tilted all the momentum Berlin's way. Um, and there was an incident when they were celebrating the goal. Uh, Diedrich Boyata appeared to have given teammate Marco Grujic uh, a kiss on the cheek. And there's uh, quite a few uh, decent pictures of it in Getty. And we happened to uh, embed a tweet um, in the piece that we used and used it as the lead picture, which is obviously severely breaking the rules. Um, and in another instance, in uh, the München-Gladbach-Eintracht-Frankfurt game, the second goal of uh, München-Gladbach's three, which was scored by uh, Marcus Turam, he appeared... Now, this one was interesting because he scored the goal, um, and it's funny, you know, a lot of players are 
kind of being ironic and funny with the fact they have to celebrate while maintaining social distance. And it is kind of funny to see because it's just something we're not used to. He started to do a, a celebration, you know, keeping his distance uh, from all of his teammates. But then uh, when Ben Sabaini had come near him, he was the guy who provided the assist for this goal. He appeared to have uh, kissed Ben Sabaini on the upper shoulder, like lower neck region, uh, which obviously is clearly b- breaking the guidelines that were put into place. And, you know, as I was commenting to, to both uh, you and Chuck Jake, is the, the comments that we received on this piece were actually quite interesting. I thought it was going to be more of, oh, you know, how could these guys you know, break these rules, especially given the circumstances um, and just simple tasks to follow. But more so the comments were giving them the benefit of the doubt and kind of saying that those rules are pointless, you know, to have if you're going to allow the players to play and just let the game uh, unfold as it normally would. Uh, so it's room for a very, very good debate, you know, should this rule even be considered um or I should say, should they consider just doing away with this rule and, you know, keeping the passion, the raw emotion, uh, jubilation, whatever, you know, word you want to use for it in goal celebrations because all of the other safety protocols are, are being taken anyways to ensure the safety of, of all the players. Uh, so it's a good good topic for debate, and I, we just wanted to hear, obviously, what uh, us three had to say on that. And mind you, the league have already come out and said that they are not going to punish, you know, either team or either either player for this perhaps just because it was the first game uh, in a new format you know giving everyone the benefit of the doubt because it's very new and very fresh but nonetheless you know should this rule be strictly enforced or does it even really matter at this point the way that i like to think about it as that it should be a recommendation and not something enforceable because of course they're not going to be able to go ahead and punish Hertha Berlin for celebrating scoring a goal in a close game, right? I would like to take this situation a slight step further, right, than the Hertha Berlin scenario, right? Because that deadlock was broken pretty early on in the second half, right? What if it was a nil-nil deadlock and a goal is scored in the 90th minute plus stoppage time, right? In soccer, there probably isn't a more clutch scenario, a bigger outburst of raw emotion and energy than something like that happening. So I guess what I would wonder is if that scenario happens, say, three weeks down the line, right? The DFL gave them one week to really, like, take it all in. Say we don't get a game winner like that until a couple weeks in, are they going to be able to punish them then? Right? Do we start punishing players based on scenarios where goals are scored or not? Um, I think that there's a lot of care, obviously, that needs to be taken in regards to this virus. And I think that setting up a rule with the potential for punishment for players, for celebrating, for doing something that is naturally a part of the sport is a bit ridiculous for them to ask. It's hard to have players feel a raw rush and burst of emotion to then have a rule, right, which may not be on the front of their mind at the time, be like a one thing that gets them to stop, right? I think that's a little weird. I think that's a lot for 
the day AFL to ask for uh, players to be able to jar themselves out of that moment. But for the players that are actively concerned about their teammates, right, whether or not their teammates may have um, where they think that they might have the virus or whether or not somebody is an extreme germaphobe and they might not want to have any contact in terms of celebration, I think those things will come to mind for players that don't feel that they want to celebrate uh, with direct physical contact from other players. But do I think that that should be an enforceable rule throughout all of this? I don't because I think it's just a lot to ask from from and Chuck, players. before you step in, I should indicate, just rereading some of these comments, we definitely uh, do not want to make this out to be you know, uh, us against the DFL because they have done a fantastic job making everything possible to be able to have matches matches at this juncture. Uh, you know, we're very lucky in, in that respect. You know, we just think it's an interesting topic uh, that should be open for debate. Uh, so, Chuck? Yeah, I think, you know, the guidelines that are in place – I mean, they're there to kind of be a reminder of where we're at in the world and what's going on. I think that DFL has been very realistic in everything. And I think that as we go along and there are spontaneous celebrations and players have that lapse in memory where they go to give a high five or they hug a teammate or even, you know, slap their teammate on the, on the behind or whatever, I think that's going to happen. And I think the one thing that, that the DFL has really kept in mind is those things were going to happen. So not having a hard or steadfast penalty for infractions, I think is, is a good thing. I don't think they're going to be looking to fine or suspend or really even leverage any big penalties on players or clubs. I think, you know, the best thing that they can do and that any observers or fans can do is just, you know, take a look and see that the players are going to make mistakes. They're going to slip up in the moment and that's okay. It's going to happen. But at the same time, you know, those guidelines, those rules, they have to be in place to kind of just be a reminder at this stage. And I think that it's okay. I think, you know, the celebrations we saw were fine, except for the one where, you know, the one guy kissed his teammate. I think that's just kind of <laughs> throwing it in the face of the, you know, what we're all up against. But, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that was planned. I don't think that was spontaneous. But, you know, I, I, overall, from what I saw in the celebrations this weekend, I was okay with it. That's going to happen. I mean, you know, you can't social distance that much when you're on a soccer pitch. I mean, it's not like I'm at home and my wife wants to social distance like 26 feet from me rather than six feet. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's one of those things. I thought it was handled really well. I think Germany set the bar high for any other major league sport to come out and try this. I think the players overall were very disciplined and handled it to the to the best of their own ability with the exception of a few instances. I, I thought it was great. Now, on the fun side of things, I have to ask, uh, did either of you have a more favorite celebration than uh, Erling Holland's awkward just, like, stand and jive in the corner with that that weird kind of quasi-creepy grin 
<laughs> near the corner flag while his teammates stood like a couple feet apart. I don't know if it gets much better. That was perfect. That was the perfect celebration because he's awkward to begin with. I mean, he's a great player, but he's an awkward dude. I mean, that's just the way it is. And it came out so great. And it was just awesome to see that no one really knew how to react to it. Like they all wanted to celebrate, but they knew they couldn't go over. And it just, I thought it just played out great. And I know it's, you know, Probably not the best thing to throw so many compliments at Dortmund like I have tonight, but I thought they handled it great, and it was really fun to see. I think the only thing that could have topped that Erling Holland celebration was at the end when Dortmund won, and they all just went over to a completely empty yellow wall and just started applauding that. I thought that was kind of funny and a little... Uh... A little cute, for lack of a better for lack of a better word. I just thought that that was hilarious. Like, we're talking about a section that should be, like jumping for joy a 25,000 person section completely filled up on a derby day right to have absolutely nobody there is a little weird it's weird for me to see and I imagine it's weird for all of us as well um so on that note I think we're gonna wrap this episode up but we will be back later this week for an episode of Der Ausblick where we will be previewing Bayern's weekend game against Eintracht Frankfurt and before we go, I do want to mention that we do a Zoom, uh, a Zoom session pregame, and at halftime we will have some of your favorite BFW writers come on air and do our own version of a pre and a postgame show because Fox Sports has decided to not do anything, which is interesting to say the very least because it's not like there's an abundance of sports content out there today but I digress and will not talk any any further about that uh, I'm still trying to go out here and find myself a job in this industry after all so with that being said thank you very much for listening please be sure to like rate share subscribe and download us on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify and anywhere else you get your audio content follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner follow Tommy on Twitter at TommyAdams71 follow Chuck on Twitter at The Barrel Blog and follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks and until next time when we preview that game at the weekend we will see you later Auf Wiedersehen